Welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. Today, my guest Tanner Larson shares a great message with us, so I'm excited to jump into it. A few things that I got out of it personally include playing your own instrument and sharing that instrument and having the confidence to share that with the world. So I'm happy to share this podcast with you, and I hope you get something out of it as well. If you find the perfect sitting position, let me know. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, sitting vaguely cross-legged across <laughs> the table from you here, it's not the most the most comfortable. I really need to find a better spot. But We need bean bags. That's what we need. You're exactly bean right. Bean bag chairs. We need bean bag chairs. <laughs> so, with that, we're now recording, and uh, and I'd... I'd like to welcome you to my wax museum, Tanner Larson, everybody. Thanks. Applause. Yay. Yay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So welcome to my wax museum. Uh, would you like to, to share how we know each other? How sure. we, how we met? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we've both been attending BYU Idaho for like six weeks now. Six weeks. Yeah. Half a semester mm-hmm. in BYU Idaho time. So um, six weeks ago, um, I got here to the apartment and your stuff was already here. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the entire first day though. Cause you, you came back and I was gone and then you left and then I came back. So mm-hmm. I knew you'd been there. Um, but we met the next morning before church. If I remember right. Yeah. And I was walking down the hall and your door burst open and you said, hi, I'm Alex. <laughs> Great. And I was like, all right. Cool. And that was that was it. That's that was we, it. That's how we met. And by the end of the first day, um, all of us in the apartment were best friends. All best friends. Yep. You'd th- you'd think, and Bishop thought that we had <laughs> known each other for I don't know how long. Yeah, we had an interview with the bishop that night, and we're sitting down, and and he we're all joking around because we're friends, and and he says, "Well, how long have you guys known each other?" And we're like, "Oh, we met this morning." Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was awesome, though. It was really good. Uh, yeah. So so going forward um, with the interview, where are you from? Um, I'll just give you the story, I guess. Give me the story. Yeah. That's what this is about. So I was born in Spokane, Washington. Okay. Um, I never remember which hospital, which is the first question everyone asks me when they're from Spokane. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what hospital I was born in. <laughs> I mean, because it matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I think when I was like either a year old or younger, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty soon after I was born, we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. Really? Yeah. So cool. I spent a couple of years in, in Nebraska, I think four or five years. Yeah. Um, and those are my first memories of life okay. were in Nebraska. Yeah. And we lived in a little brick house that was sandwiched between, in a ghetto, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was really sketchy. Um, when my parents talk about it, I don't remember it very well, but Mm -hmm. we were sandwiched between, um, um, a troubled boys home. Okay. And, um, a Turkish immigrant family that were very nice. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're they're just culturally different. So, um, it was just an interesting place to grow up. That's interesting. That would be really cool. Yeah. And that's where we were for my dad's, um, dental school. Okay. Dentist. Yeah. And when I was probably if I'm remembering this right, five or six or so, um, we moved back to Washington, not yeah. to Spokane, um, but to Kennewick. Okay. No, Richland. We moved to Richland. Okay. Yeah. Which is um, in a 
I guess, a, an area called the Tri-Cities. Okay, so this is something I've always wondered about, yeah. the Tri-Cities. I've heard that term so many times, especially living with you where you say, I'm from the Tri-Cities <laughs> area. And everyone just says, oh, okay, as if they know what that means. I don't think they know what that means. Maybe they do, but <laughs> I don't know what that means. And I always just nod my head as well and say, yeah, the Tri-Cities area in Washington. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Okay, so explain the Tri-Cities. <laughs> So the Tri-Cities are, um, contrary to popular belief and logical reasoning, mm -hmm. um, are six cities. Makes All, sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think they started as three cities okay. and just kept the name. Yeah. Um, that are all grouped together so close that they, they, they touch. Like you can, you can be on one street. Um, for example, the temple. Yeah. Um, the temple in in the Tri-Cities is like pretty much half in Richland, half in Kennewick. Okay. Yeah. It's on the street that divides the two cities. Yeah. Um, and the other cities, so there's Richland, Kennewick, Pasco. Okay. And then there's West Richland, which is its own city. Okay. Um, and then there's, um, there's Finley. Finley. Yeah. Which is like a little bit outside of Kennewick. Okay. Um, but it's really close. And then there's Benton City, which is just, like, touching all the cities, but it's way on the outskirts by Richland. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you got all those places together, and that's the Tri-Cities. All pretty close. What's kind of the population size? How big is it there? It's pretty big, yeah. actually. I mean, it's laterally spread out. Yeah. don't build tall over there, um, but it's growing huge yeah. every year. I couldn't tell you that. I couldn't even take a guess at the population. Yeah. Um, but as far as... Yeah, it's it's one of the top ten places in the U.S. to raise a family. Really? Yeah. So it's just um, real estate has been historically cheap there. Yeah. Um, because it's all just a bunch of sagebrush. Okay. Yeah, desert and sagebrush. It's yeah. the dry part of Washington that yeah no one thinks about. It's when you it's say, not the soaking wet yeah. Seattle that everyone <laughs> imagines. Right. Right. And so um, yeah, it just expands rapidly and it keeps expanding. It's one of the reasons we moved. Yeah. Um, it was just getting too crowded. Okay, I mean, you guys are a little more on the outskirts, quieter life kind of yeah. lifestyle. For example, everywhere we lived in the Tri-Cities originally was a suburb. And okay. within two years, we were the center of a bustling community. Yeah. Like, it, it expands that rapidly. Yeah. Um, our last neighborhood, we were only in there for a year. And when we got there, we were probably the eighth or ninth house there. Wow. And when we left, there were well over 50 houses, like, all around. And we're creating this neighborhood. They're expanding. So it it goes really fast. So you moved around a lot within the Tri-Cities. Yeah. Um, started out in Richland, and I moved to Kennewick after a few years. And I think we moved around Kennewick, let's see, four other times. Okay, yeah, so yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, four other times in, um, by the time I was 18. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And di did you enjoy living there? Yeah, yeah, it was a great place. Um so member, there were a lot of members of the church there. Yeah. We had the fourth largest seminary in the world. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was a cool community. Yeah. The only problem I had with it was there was not much to do. Yeah. If you weren't a, I mean, and I was, but if you weren't like a dirt biker um, or, you know, people that, I don't know, there's like very few activities. It's a bunch of sagebrush. You either go dirt biking or you go spend money somewhere in the middle of the city to go play mini golf or go to the movies or something yeah all the things that every city has 10 of kind right. of thing yeah, yeah yeah so outside the city there just wasn't anything to do yeah that's interesting that's interesting do you so you said you had some 
early memories uh, from when you lived in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Whereabouts is Nebraska? I've never been, so I don't know. Um, it's man, I'm horrible with geography. I'm pretty sure it's it's right next to Wyoming. I think it's the next state over. Oh, okay, so not yeah. too far. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not all the way over there. Yeah. Oh, and okay, that's okay. the that's the farthest I've been um, east eastward in yeah. the United States it's in the U.S. Yeah. yeah, and I haven't been back there since. So yeah. Okay. And do you have any uh, early childhood memories, like small things that you remember and stuff? Yeah. And that's um, it's one of my favorite parts because we were in, I mean, my dad was in dental school. Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of money to play around with. Um, and a lot of our activities just revolved around my parents' creativity, which mm-hmm. I look back on now and I'm, I'm amazed that they could do so much. If you think about today, um, people are so centered on i mean you know we've had talks about consumerism before yeah yeah um and back then it was just so simple to have such a great time without consuming anything yeah um i remember we would sometimes just sit in the backyard while my dad shot our trash can with paintballs (laughs) and we just watch him um there was a tractor testing track um you know they would just run tractors on it around and around it was like a mini nascar track yeah and they would use that to test all different kinds of things, um, hmm. just the efficiency of the engines, all this kind of stuff, um, wear and tear on the treads or wheels or whatever they have. And we would take our bikes over there when it was vacant, and we would ride around and pretend we were little NASCAR racers yeah. and stuff. Um, just little things like that that yeah. made things fun. Um, yeah. Playing out in the yard with my dad, we did that a lot. Um, yeah, it was a good, simple life back then. Yeah, yeah, the simple the simple little things. Yeah. Do you think did you did you at any point start moving away from those simple things in your life like maybe you were less entertained by a trash can being shot with a paintball gun <laughs> and you started getting interested in other things? Well, it's funny that you should ask that cuz one of our favorite things to do as a family nowadays is set up boards on the hillside and shoot paintballs at them. Yeah. With uh slingshots. We use slingshots now. Okay, yeah. Um but as a whole, yeah, yeah, um, we've definitely come away from the more simple things. But it's all still very centered around family. Um, a lot of what we do revolves around my dad's hobbies. Okay. Um, because he's an outdoorsman. My dad's an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the best of both worlds. My mom is a lot more like me. Um, we're very introverted. And we we like doing fun things and going on adventures, but we also enjoy our quiet time and um, my dad isn't, isn't very much like that at all. He's always ready to go somewhere and have some crazy adventure. And so as he started, as he left grad school and started making more money, cause, um, he kind of, he was in the golden age of, of dental education. Mm-hmm. Um, because nowadays it's very, very, very expensive. Um, and debt is very hard to get rid of if you're going into the medical field, especially dentistry. Yeah. But he was in an age where it was a lot easier to get out of that debt. And so he started making money very fast, very easily, and was able to to take us places. We didn't just buy things. Um, we bought things that enabled us to spend time together. Yeah. Um, went on a lot of hikes, did some traveling. Um, you know, I remember we had a boat when I was younger, and we'd go out, and he would try and teach me wakeboarding, and I would adamantly refuse because I was afraid of the water. Hmm. Um, but we had a lot of good memories doing things um, that he was enabled um, it was, I guess he was enabled to let us experience those things because of his success. 
and um, was very grateful for that. So. That's awesome. That's really cool. And so, so being able to to create those memories with your family, and to be able to do more as you grew up and stuff, and as you grew older, surely you were able to participate more with those things. Yes. It, and you said your dad is an adrenaline junkie. Is there has there been anything that you've joined in on with him? Um, most of the things I do that can be classified as extreme sports, um, actually everything that I do that can be classified that way, um, are things he started doing first, mm-hmm. and I jumped in on. Okay. Um, so when we talk about snowboarding, yeah. it was him first. Um, I've only been paragliding because he's a paraglider pilot. Yeah. I've only been in a private plane because he flies his own little propeller plane. Yeah. Um, and just a wealth of other stuff, dirt biking. Um, he's getting me into snowmobiling this year as nice. well. I've never done that before. But yeah. He has. And so, yeah, everything that we do in that category, um, he did it first. He was like the, the forerunner and then just dragged us all in and yeah. it was pretty awesome. So. Why, why do you think he's so interested in those things? Um, well, there's a, there's a number of reasons. Um, He's a very strong advocate of the fact that lasting joy comes from from different things than people usually think. Um, and so being out in nature is something that brings him lasting joy. Um, and I don't know, he's just, he's always tried to instill that in us, that nature is beautiful. Um, spending time as a family is beautiful. Doing creative things, exploring, I think, is, is the main thing with him. He explores new avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopes that we can also adopt that. Yeah. Um, I haven't as well. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very comfortable in my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but in a, in the best way, he's always been trying to pull us out of those comfort zones. That's awesome. That's great. And have you ever, have you ever been resistant to that? Oh yeah. 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 My dad could tell you lots of stories. Yeah. Um, wakeboarding was one example. Yeah. I just, I just saying... wouldn't get in the water and, of course, everything I I resisted against back then, I totally regret because those would have been great experiences. Working on cars was another one. Mm-hmm. My dad has always been very practical. Do it yourself. Um, you know, learn to do it yourself so you can in case no one else can, you know. And so we were always working on our own cars. I learned absolutely nothing from it because I, I didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I basically had a mechanic showing me the ropes and I just... I just totally squandered it. And yeah. so now I, I know very few basic things about cars, but if you gave me a problem and asked me to fix it, I would, I would be totally lost and, and he would be your guy. So, hmm. um, so yeah. how did, how does that change how you live now? That's a good question. Um, how does that change how I live now? Well, I'm excited to learn things. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of regret that I talked about, um, I don't really want to feel it anymore. And so I'm trying to take every opportunity I can to learn more. Um, I do a lot outside of those things that my dad introduced me to. Um, I have a much nerdier side that, that my dad never had. Which I've seen plenty of. <laughs> <laughs> and so I use a lot of that creativity um, for many, many other activities. Yeah. Um, and as I was younger, I remember that I would kind of dabble in something that I was interested in. And then I would just, I would do it. I would, I would just go for it. 
and it wouldn't always turn out very well. And it's because I didn't really want to learn more. I just kind of wanted to do the bare minimum. Hmm. Um, and something as recent as my mission taught me a lot about that. Um, and so nowadays, when I'm really interested in something, I like to experience the entire avenue um, and see all there is to see before I even start on something because I want to be the most informed. Hmm. And so so you go out with these with, with something new you want to try and you do a lot of pre-study yeah a lot of reading up on it mm-hmm. and and a lot of googling of yeah. things yeah <laughs> and how you said that your mission impacted the way that you do that and the way that you jump um jump into things and get into it and learn of it how did that do that for you well um if you look at stuff that I created before my mission, because um, a lot of my hobbies involve creation, I love constructing things, um, putting effort into something and getting a sweet product out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that product may not even be very useful as far as um, you know actual practical use goes. Yeah. Um, I just like doing that. And before my mission, if you look at all those projects that I did, that involve that kind of thinking and that kind of construction, um, they can all be very radically classified as rush jobs. Hmm. Um, I just wanted to get something done as fast as I could. And when I went on a mission, it put me in a, in a situation that couldn't be rushed. You can't rush job two years. It's two years. Um, whether you squander it or you take advantage of it, it's the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so no amount of, of rush job or, you know, just rushing through it is going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change is what you get out of it in the end. Yeah. Um, especially when you're working with people, you know, I'm working with people and I'm just trying my best. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that good at it, but I'm trying my best out there to, to just help people be happier. And you can't rush that either. Yeah. Um, you can't just, you can't get frustrated with someone. You can't get impatient and be like, look, this is going to make you happier. Why aren't you understanding this? You're working with a person. It's not an object. Yeah. And in that same way, it's I just kind of learned to go go that way about a lot of things in my life. Um, treating them as less of a um, something I just want to get done into something I can really learn from and something that I and other people could possibly benefit from. I like that. Um I personally think a lot about craftsmanship and your mentality and your mindset uh, kind of brings me back to a lot of principles and ideals of a craftsman, having that love for, for whatever it is you're doing and not, not sitting there just trying to get the job done. So how now you, you know, I see the way that you work on, on things and you put a lot more care into it. Um, I mean, not that you put more care into it now than six weeks ago <laughs> when I met you, but from the way that you're talking, I can tell you put more care and a, a love into it. And why why is it so important to you to treat those tasks and those things with, with a greater care and a greater appreciation? One of the reasons is because it actually furthers my progress in life. And I see that now, whereas I didn't before. Um, putting more effort into anything is going to improve you on so many levels. 
mm-hmm. no matter what it is. Um, if you have a hobby you're working on or it's an important job that you're doing for work, if you put your heart and soul into it, your heart and soul are going to grow. If you don't, it's just kind of it's just kind of stagnant. Hmm. Um, that's where you get people who who only do things halfway um, and call it done, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they're just not they're not seeing it as worthwhile to themselves. Therefore, they discard it. Hmm. Um, they just waste it away. And for me, I'm trying to transition over to a period of my life where I ask myself, um, if I pour my heart and soul into this thing, am I going to grow? And if not, is it worth my time? Hmm. Um, and I still, I mean, I'm still a just a 22-year-old guy, and a lot of the things I do probably wastes of time, but mm-hmm. I'm figuring that out. Yeah. And that's what's important. Um, I'm seeing results. I'm seeing... Um, yeah, I'm seeing results from things I'm doing, and and I'm better able to analyze those results and determine if I if I go further with that particular thing. I like that idea of putting your heart and soul into something, and that allowing yourself to grow uh, instead of it just being a thing that you did. And was there is there something that you would describe as being the first thing? you put your heart and soul into um the first thing that's not like overly important um because obviously you put your heart and soul into your family and yeah um, and the things that you really really need to get done um things that are that important to you you always put your heart and soul into those but as far as um things i do for for joy for my own enjoyment i would say building costumes building Mm -hmm. armor suits i always say that um you know, when you're in fifth grade and you're on the playground and you're you're running around with your friends and you're pretending, um, quote unquote, you know, to be your favorite characters and um, you're having these battles or whatever. I don't know what you did as a kid, but that's what yeah. we did. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that part of me never grew up. Yeah. Um, and so I've always I've always thought like, man, it would be so cool to look like that guy. You know, you see a cool movie and you're like, man, that guy looks awesome. They did such a great job. Like that'd be cool to look like that guy. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of those people. There's a huge community of us um, all over the world. You know, that's what comic conventions are for, costume conventions, Comic-Con, all that stuff. Um, you go there and you share that with people. And um, I think that's probably the first not-so-important thing that I put my heart and soul into. But I don't think I put my heart and soul into it until after I got back from my mission. Really? Yeah. It was... Um, the heart was there. I wanted it. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be so cool. And I had this vision in my head. That's the important part. It's the vision of what you want something to look like. Um, and you can use this analogy for anything, anything, and it'll work. It doesn't have to be costumes. You visualize what you want, what you want something to look like, any aspect of your life, what you want your family to look like, what you want your, your integrity to look like, Yeah. what you want your grades to look like. It doesn't matter. Um, and people have these visions all the time. We hear, we talk, um, we hear and talk about all the time these people who set goals, um, and then just nothing ever happens, and it sucks. Yeah. Um. But when you put your heart and soul into a vision, and you commit yourself and say, "I don't just want this to look like this in the end. It's going to look like this. Yeah. It's going to look exactly like the image in my head." 
And that's what killed me so bad about costume making before my mission was I was so obsessed with rush jobs and I just wanted the result. I wanted to get to the end. Um, I had this glorious vision in my head of what it should look like. And then in the end, I had cut so many corners. Yeah. And I had I'd made so many compromises that it looked not awful, but it definitely didn't look like what it looked like in my head. Hmm. And it doesn't matter how many people come up to you and say, that thing looks awesome. That is so great. It's just going to bounce right off because you know what you wanted it to look like. Hmm. All those compliments don't even matter. And it's the same with, with personal matters. If you, if you look on the outside, if you look good, if you look like you're doing the right thing, if you look like you're studying, it doesn't matter how many people are, are going to tell you like, oh, you're such a good guy. Like you're just always responsible and all these things. If it's not actually true, it will have no effect on you whatsoever. Hmm. And it bounces right off. Yeah. I like that. So you started to to seek out this integrity in in your life and in your craft of costume making, which is timely because this episode airs two days before Halloween. <laughs> so perfect timing. And you, you saw this because, I mean, I, I look – at the pictures you've shown me of things that you built before your mission. And I think, man, that is sweet. That is so cool how you made that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and yet still you have this dissatisfaction with yourself as a craftsman for not having poured your heart and soul into it. Mm -hmm. And now I see you working on your current costume <laughs> Uh, and my current costume with you and and you know I, I see you learning from it and I see you wanting to, to put this effort in do you feel like you are putting forth that effort now that, that you are getting there yeah I'm getting closer at least mm -hmm. um, and this particular set of costumes that we're both making because mm -hmm. um, I'm getting you hooked into it now it's pretty cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and these particular ones present an interesting situation that I've never really been in before. Mm -hmm. Usually I never start work on a costume unless I know I have um, ample time to do exactly what I want. Yeah. And I have ample funds. Mm -hmm. Because the cooler the costume is, I'm not going to lie, the more it's going to cost to make. Yeah. It's just how it works. Yeah. Um, the materials get nicer and more expensive. The tools get nicer and more expensive. That's just how it works. And being here at BYU-Idaho, having left everything behind that I used to build costumes, put me in a really weird situation where I had to say, okay, this is what I need to make this vision in my head, but this is also what I can't have. Mm -hmm. I just don't have the time or the resources to do that. And so I've had to, I've had to say, um, what can we do then? Um, and look at it in a more realistic way. Because I could show you, I have an entire journal full of plans, costume plans, hmm. estimated costs, stuff like this. I have something, some projects that um, will maybe, will probably, not maybe, never come to fruition because you're looking at a price tag of like $10,000. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just from me pouring my ideas out and then kind of adding up the cost predictions and just being like, wow, <laughs> that would be awesome, but it's really expensive. Yeah, the jetpack isn't, isn't cheap having a real right. working jetpack <laughs> on your costume. Exactly. And so for these costumes, you just kind of, you got to be like, okay, this is how much I have. 
Um, this is how much I'm willing to put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still going to make it the best it can be. And it's going to be great. That's, that's been the hardest part about this whole thing. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing. So working within those constraints for you, because you talk about fulfilling your vision as, as a craftsman, as a costume maker, mm-hmm. and you want to get it just right. But now, you know, can you, can, can you get it just right when you have these constraints? Can you be that fully satisfied craftsman when you have these restraints put on you against your vision? Not really. No, you can't, you can't fully realize the vision. Hmm. But that's also okay. Um, you can have an end goal and you can start somewhere. And as long as you start on a firm foundation, I mean, we've heard this phrase a lot, but as soon as you, as, as long as you start on a firm foundation, you're going to get to that end vision sometime. Um, if you start with a bunch of crap that can't be added onto, another analogy for life, you know, yeah, um, then that, then that effort is wasted. It just goes away. You can't, and you have to start anew. But if you start with something that has value behind it, it has potential, that's the word I'm looking for, then that vision's going to come one way or another. You just got to be patient. Hmm. I like that. And potential. That's a, that's a good word that probably fits in a lot of different spots in this episode, in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, in, in your other hobbies, and your other efforts do you do you think about that potential and that craftsman like mentality as often with those things as you do with the costume making yeah i think i take that attitude with everything i do yeah um i'm also a classically trained music sing- singer yeah singer singer <laughs> is it is it singing when the music comes out of my mouth <laughs> yeah 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 um and so with that it's kind of the same thing but I have to be even more patient because I only have one tool mm-hmm. and my progress in this area comes with improving that tool. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of time. It's a lot of muscle memory. It's just, it's wearing something down so it can be built up better. And that's just, that's just a way longer process and the steps to do it aren't as clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still have this vision and I know that I'm going to get there someday as long as I keep working hard, you know? So, so with your vision for costume making, you can do these drawings, mm-hmm. you can add up the costs, you can do all of this stuff. What does that process look like when you take it from costume making and transplant it to music, to singing? Um, this one requires, I mean, you can't Google this one. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can't get like instruction and stuff like that from online. Maybe a little bit, but um, a voice lesson with my teacher usually looks a lot different than that and it comes with putting yourself out there okay kind of producing a product um but you don't really know all the steps Hmm. you're just trying you're just putting something out and that's the sound you're making you know when you're singing um and then you have the other person who's telling you constantly um this needs to be improved this needs to be improved you need to try this think of it this way um it's kind of like trying to teach someone how to wiggle their ears um, it's really easy to do once you get it down, but it's so freaking hard to explain, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes you can never explain it. And so I have a lot of admiration for people who figure the voice out and they spend their time trying to help other people understand it. Cause it's such a, 
it's such an abstract concept trying to tell someone to form their mouth a certain way mm-hmm. when they when they have it open when they're emitting sound th- that's hard you know you can't you can't let the person become you for a second and feel what you're doing with your mouth so you have to find ways to explain it mm-hmm. um and i'm pretty bad at explaining it but i just i have so much admiration for these people who help me and who have helped me to get where i am today and who are helping me getting to where i'm going yeah um because they they can explain it in a way that if you put the effort into it, the heart and soul, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's just a lot longer of a process. Put it out there. And I, I imagine that it's not a, you know, I want to have this by then kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's, it's a much longer drawn out process, right. right? Especially considering you can be singing forever. And you always have that one tool and you're not going to get a, a new throat or new vocal, cord, you know, like mm-hmm. that's going to stay a constant and you have to continuously work with that same instrument. Uh, something I appreciate about you is you have, I've seen you try to take those lessons you've learned in class and explain them to me to help <laughs> me with my singing, uh, which I appreciate. And, and I'm sure that's hopefully a beneficial experience for you been mm-hmm. beneficial for me obviously <laughs> um but th- that's something interesting that you've made efforts to take that learning and turn it into teaching um again and so what with with singing what in the first place got you into that had you set on that course that's a that's a good one there's a good story for it share um, away when I was younger, I mean, we're kind of a singing family. We just, you know, like we watched musicals and sang together and you sing in church a lot. Um, and as I was getting older and I got in my awkward teenage years, um, I really loved Linkin Park. Because um, my sister really loved Linkin Park. Yeah. And we were our sassy teenage selves and listened to Linkin Park together. And so we'd sing along. And I decided right then and there, I was like, I want to be a rock star. That would be great. So, we made a rock band. You and not, your sister? Not me and my sister. Um, me and a couple other guys from school. Okay. Um, and, yeah, we had a little rock band, and we played Green Day, you know, at steak dances of all places. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we weren't good. No? No. I mean, there's a lot of hype, and it was yeah. a lot of fun, but, like, we we just weren't that good, you know? Yeah. We were a bunch of high schoolers or whatever. I was probably a freshman when we started doing so that. So, grade nine? Yeah, 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 in high school. And um, at one point, my mom said, you know, you might want singing lessons. Hmm. And I was like, Mom, I don't need singing lessons. Yeah. I'm a rock star. (laughs) Rock stars (laughs) don't get singing lessons. Exactly. And then she told me they actually do. And I was like, oh, whoops. Um, And anyway, she was like, we have a lady in our ward that um that does singing lessons and yeah. you have you have a great voice and i did like i had a i had a good pure tone i could carry a tune i had um what's the phrase um it's not perfect pitch it's relative pitch so i can remember things audibly i can okay. remember and i don't think people grasp that concept very well you can remember how something sounds but i actually remember and i can hear exactly what something sounds like so once i learn a song I don't need a piano. Um, if someone asks me for the starting note, I can give it to them. 
Hmm. I just know where it is in my voice and I can, I can emit it. Um, and that's something that not a lot of people have. Hmm. And so she was like, yeah, you have all these things that you can do. Like, why don't you just, um, why don't you just try it out? And she was paying for it. And so I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. So I get there and I was not having it. I, um, what I figured out very fast was it's not like you have a voice teacher and you show up and they're like, all right, what kind of singing do you want to do? And you tell them, I want to be a rock star. And they're like, all right, this is what you need to know as a rock star. Yeah. No, you only really learn one or two kinds of singing genres, I guess. Really? Yeah. Because it's, they're all done so differently. Mm -hmm. So differently. Um, they all probably have the same foundation. I don't know. I've never studied any other kinds. Yeah. Listen to a rock singer and listen to a classical singer there's some huge differences going on in their body yeah. when they're singing those different things. Um, mm. And to learn two sets of muscle memory for two different genres of music, I could imagine would be very difficult. Um, so I showed up and she was a classical music trainer and she was like, Hmm, she heard me sing rock. She's like, Hmm, that's uh, you know, I, that was good, but I don't think that's where your voice is. And I was Interesting. like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't think your voice is meant for that. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm a I rock can make star. it whatever I want. Yeah. yeah. And she said, let's sing a hymn. And I was like, oh, gosh. And we started. Yeah. And it came so easy. It was just like, it was like everything I was fighting against trying to be a rock singer was fighting for me when I was doing hymns. Interesting. And it felt so, it just felt intuitive. But I was still like, no. Um, but after we were done, she said, that's where your voice is. That's that's where you belong. This is, you're in the right place. And I went home and I, I don't remember it very clearly, but I'm pretty sure I had a conversation with my mom, um, you know, where I was like, I kind of want to be a rock singer. And she said, you know what? You just need to go for it and see where it takes you. And so I did. And um, I only took voice lessons from her for about a year. Um but I grew to love it. Absolutely loved it. It just got so easy, and I found myself expressing myself through what I was singing, which I'd never felt before. You know, like people like Linkin Park and Green Day, they're very intense emotions, but they're not ones I feel. Hmm. They're all very, um, you know, violent at times. Um, there's a lot of violent sound in rock singers. Um, it's all very, um, it's discord, it's discontent. Um, and I didn't feel those things, but when I was singing classical pieces, um, Josh Groban's my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, it just, I could relate. It was something that resonated with my soul and obviously with my body. Um, and so I kept doing that and just kept singing over the years and look where I am today. I've been in a couple of musicals, um, and I've, I just have a great time singing and you know, I sing all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time so yeah we have a few people in this apartment who, uh, <laughs> who sing all the time in the shower and in the hallway yeah yeah that's awesome yeah and so did you did you have the same struggle with with your craft in singing that you did with uh, costume making and, and other things did you have that same s struggle of not pouring your heart and soul into it yeah yeah, are you talking about with costumes or are you talking about with, with singing? With singing. Um, yeah, I did. Um, my first year of singing lessons didn't end well um, because I 
I didn't prioritize it. I didn't appreciate what my mom was providing for me. Um, and I would skip lessons. Hmm. And at one point, um, nothing, you know, no hard feelings against my voice teacher at all. She just kind of said, I, I don't think I can help him anymore because he's just not showing up. Um, and so my mom was like, I'm not going to pay for you to show up if you're just going to choose whenever you want to go. Yeah. Um, and so that was just me being irresponsible. Um, but that's a huge evidence of that. And then as I left on my mission, I actually sang a lot more. And then was another, here's a big thing. Before my mission, I was very unwilling to share my voice. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of me. I just get nervous. I'm not very good in front of a lot of people. Um, for a long period of time and social situations are just kind of uncomfortable for me heavily social situations and it's very socially heavy when you're just minding your own business at a party mm-hmm. and someone says hey can you stand up and sing us a song oh, I'm like brother. whoa whoa you know yeah um and there's nothing wrong with being that way but there is something wrong with staying that way yeah um and that was another that was another evidence from before my mission that i just wasn't putting my heart and soul into it because I wasn't willing to try that. I wasn't willing to step out of my comfort zone. Hmm. Um, even when people like my grandma, you know, like I see, I see my great grandma like a couple times a year and she asks me to sing a song and I say, no, hmm. like that's, that's not very cool, you know, just cause I'm nervous or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I've had to learn to get over that. Um, and hopefully I'd like to think now that I'd be ready to do that in any situation. Um, it's still uncomfortable for sure, but yeah. I'd like to think that I'm mature enough to, to suppress my flight instinct when that kind of thing arises and just go with it and share who I am with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's a, that's another interesting thought along the lines of being a craftsman is, is being willing to share that. Do you have the, the confidence in what you're doing? to to share it so how how did you really start to develop that confidence in in yourself to be able to share that singing share your voice um well ever since i was very young i've been very shy very introverted we've talked about this before and i've done a lot of study on it um and for a long time i just kind of said it's who i am you know it's, it's just hard for me um so I'm just going to let it be that way. On my mission, um, I was probably, I think I was a little over six months from being home. So I was out for a little less than a year and a half. And I got my second opportunity to uh, to train a new missionary. And I was pretty excited. I was like, heck yeah, this is going to be great. It went well the first time. Um, and I don't know. It went well for a while. We're, we're best friends. I had the greatest um, companions. I have nothing to complain about as far as my mission is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hit a point where I just kind of crashed. Um, and in retrospect, I think it's due to the fact that I, for most of my mission, was forcing it. I was forcing myself um, to try and be someone else. Because I had accepted the fact I'm me and I'm not very socially capable, so I'm just kind of gonna be someone else hmm. in social in social situations. So I developed kind of a persona. But 
when you're using a persona, when you're using a mask, it's kind of like you're running two generators on the same tank of gas, and it's going to deplete much quicker mm-hmm. than if you're only running one. Um, and so at that point, I just socially crashed. I felt awful. Um, it was really hard for me to be in public for a while. Um, and I just kept thinking like, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, like why? And I, um, when I was in the mission office, that was part of the reason I went to the mission office was my president was just trying to help me out and say like, look, you'll be in the office most of the day here. Um, and it's better than having you out there miserable, you know? So just come here and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I had a very good talk with a companion in the office named um, Elder Richardson. And he was one of my best friends from the mission. And um, we were talking about why I felt that way. And we just brought it down to the fact that I was afraid of being myself. But I couldn't be someone else anymore. It was this weird stalemate, this weird limbo state that I, mm. that I had entered. And... It was true. I was trying to be like all of the, you know, machine missionaries, as we call them. There's just weird, there's a bunch of dynamics in a mission that people have to deal with, and a lot of them are social aspects among missionaries. For me, that was a huge deal. And so I was like, look at these leaders, you know, these people that that are leading me, and they're the example. They're doing all this stuff. Like, they're, um, they're talking to people this certain way. They're charismatic. They're all this stuff. And so I was trying to be that. Um and we came to the conclusion that I just needed to be myself. I need to ask people questions that I would ask. I needed to talk to people the way that I talk to people, not that missionary Tanner talks to people. Hmm. And so I did that, and it instantly went away. Hmm. Um, and I still have a hard time in spending a long amount of time in a social situation, mm-hmm. but I'm learning that... People like me, like I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a horrible person, you know, like not quite. Yeah. yeah. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a cocky way at all. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm not like a, an unlikable person and there are people out there who appreciate me and how can I, um, share myself with people if I'm not myself, how can they experience me without me? Yeah. And so I just started being myself and I'm still trying. I'm still trying every day. Um, you know, me, I still, sometimes I still just leave early from parties cause I just get exhausted super fast. Yeah. Um, in huge social situations, nothing wrong with that. No, it's part of being an introvert. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to, to be myself. I'm trying to improve that self. That's the key thing. I'm no longer just saying, well, I'm just who I am and that's, how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Um, my mom's the same way and she's married to my dad who's an extreme extrovert. Yeah. We've had conversations about this, how she's had to totally branch out. You know, he'd come home from work one day and he'd be like, well, honey, I invited these two families over for dinner. And my mom is like, what? Yeah. Like, what are you doing to me? And she would get all stressed and he didn't understand and they didn't understand each other. Um, so that's like, that's just us. But over the years, you know, you improve yourself and you learn to get over certain little nuances like that. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So I think to come back to your question, 
um, how I've been getting over that is just accepting that people people want to hear me. They want to see me. They want to experience me because I am me, and I shouldn't be afraid of that. Hmm. That's an that's a really interesting thought on confidence and on your your personal development because I, I think I think everyone has some level of confidence issues, uh, even if it might seem like they don't. Uh, we all worry what other people think, and and I think having that acknowledgement that people do appreciate you and that people do want to know the real you. You know, I wouldn't have sat you down for an hour-long interview <laughs> if I wasn't interested in getting to know Tanner. Oh, yeah, I'm just looking for content for my podcast. You know, right. no, I want to hear, you know, who who are you, right? What do you what do you love doing and, and what do you believe in? And, uh, and, and certainly everyone here, everyone in this apartment appreciates having you here. And I know certain people in our ward who really appreciate you. <laughs> and and so... I, I think that's excellent that you've that you've come to that realization um, with the help of Elder Richardson, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With his help and and certainly with a whole lot of help from other people along the way throughout your life, coming to that realization that people do appreciate you and that people do want to hear from you. And and so I I think that's awesome. Now when you go about being you do you ever have do you ever do you ever worry that you're not actually being you do you ever worry that you're still kind of faking something oh yeah yeah all the time i'm i feel like i'm just kind of constantly have to remind myself about it because there's good days and bad days and on bad days i'll i'll sit down in class and the whole time i'll kind of i'll kind of spend conversing with myself like just raise your hand no one's gonna think what you say is stupid you know Mm -hmm. like um constantly having these thoughts walking around campus, you know, in large groups of people. I have these thoughts all the time where I'm just like, chill out, dude. Like, you're fine. You're you're just you, you know? And so it's it's been a constant battle, and it's going to be a constant battle. I'm ready for it. I'm used to it. Um, but, yeah, there's plenty, plenty of times where I, um, even with my closest friends, you know, like one day, um, I'll just be super confident and, and some days I'll just be super nervous. And I'm like, why am I nervous? I've known this person for years. Like, mm-hmm. why am I stumbling with something to say to this person? Um, and so, yeah, I definitely have times where I have to remind myself, like, you don't have to try and be funny. You don't have to try and, and push to contribute to the conversation or, um, to the situation. Just be you, just relax and it'll be all right. So I have those conversations with myself all the time. That's awesome. Uh, I think it's important to do that kind of self-analysis and self-consideration and have that awareness of, of those struggles that you might be having. Uh, in, in light of that, in light of you finding ways to work through this and everyone else probably also struggling with very similar issues of, of being themselves and feeling confident with who they are, whether it's an extrovert or an introvert, and 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 going through those motions of just being human. Do you have any advice for people who who might be struggling to feel comfortable as them? That's a really really tough one. 
Um, because just thinking about myself, like what advice could someone have given me um, to prompt me to change that way? I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a singular piece of advice that helped me out. Um, I'm sure it was lots of advice, lots of experiences. Um, but I think a large part of it is not listening to outside influences that tell you who you should be. Not comparing yourself is a huge, huge thing that I struggle with all the time. I see someone do something that I should be doing, and I'm like, oh, I better do that. But not, not because I should have done it, but because that person did it. Mm-hmm. And it made them look good. So I'm constantly fighting that instinct. So no comparisons, never. The only person you should compare yourself with is your past self, okay? Um, the person you were before you progressed to this point. Um, because there's ways to improve yourself and see the need for improvement without comparing yourself with someone you view as better than yourself. It's good to admire someone. It's good to say, wow, that guy is just a really sincere guy. I'd like to be more sincere. There's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. But there's something wrong with seeing a guy and being like, wow, he's so sincere and I'm such a douchebag. Mm-hmm. That's that's not okay. You never put yourself down, just like you never put your kids down. Yeah. Um, um, you can You can get mad at yourself for making a stupid decision, but don't get mad at yourself for being stupid. That's a big difference. It's not your character. It's not who you are. It's just something you did. Let it go. Get away with it. Do something better, you know? Um, so no comparisons at all. Um, and I guess just relax. Um, there's so much that can be said about relaxing because people like me are just tense all the time. Um but you don't need to be. I used a, an analogy in my paper, um, in a paper I wrote the other day for my English class about introversion, and I compared my experiences, my daily experiences with that kind of thing, um, with, I guess, a short story. And the story is you're walking around, um, and everyone you see is carrying a trumpet, okay? Um, and frantic, you look down, to see what you're carrying and you're carrying a harmonica suddenly you start feeling very sheepish because everyone's got a trumpet and you got a stinking harmonica that sucks you know um and so you start frantically trying to play your harmonica like it's a trumpet Hmm. people get confused people don't understand um and they're trumpet players so they're trying to help you play your harmonica like a trumpet but it's just not it's not working, you know, people don't understand. Um, what you don't realize is harmonica is an instrument. You don't need to have a specific kind. Um, and although it may look like everybody else around you is carrying a trumpet, I bet you 50% of those people are carrying harmonicas, but they're disguising them to look like trumpets. Hmm. So you're not alone out there. You're not the only one who feels that way. Um, and I'm not saying you have to find those people and be like, Hey, I have a harmonica too. Cause if you have a harmonica, you can get along with a trumpet. It doesn't matter. I have extrovert friends. I have introvert friends, popular friends, not so popular friends. It doesn't matter. 
you're, you're compatible, you're friendly compatible with most people that you come across unless someone's just a complete jerk. Um, but you just have to realize that there's nothing wrong with having a different instrument from someone else or playing your instrument differently. It's still beautiful. It's still your song. Just just play it. Like It doesn't matter. So, I like that. I really appreciate that thought. And I think it, it ties in nicely with a lot of what Angela was saying to me on last week's episode about uh, instead of being jealous, have admiration and and how you have to allow yourself to be you and allow yourself to pour out your soul and not try and pour out somebody else's um, and, and that leading back into what we talked about with craftsmanship, with your costume making as well as with your vocal lessons and with your singing and using your instrument and sharing your instrument with other people and and so i i think this has been a fantastic conversation and i appreciate you know learning learning more about you learning more about where you came from and how how all of these things that i see now have come to be tanner and and where all of that comes from so looking forward to the future do you have any any big goal any plan any idea anything that you just that that's that's the thing you want or that's the thing you want to be in your future it's a good question and i think everyone has a lot of things they want to be a lot of things they want to accomplish but if i were to compartmentalize it i guess um i just want to i want to be a hard worker um i was taught hard work growing up of course but like um I just want to be able to to work hard and enjoy it and provide for a family. Um, doing something that I... I mean, I'm not convinced you have to be doing something that you like absolutely love your mm-hmm. entire life for work. Otherwise, it's not work. You can enjoy work. It can be in a field that you find interesting, a field that intrigues you, but it's always going to be work, and that's healthy. Um, and so I'd like to find something which I, th- I think I've found. You know, I'm majoring in computer science and I'm enjoying programming and I would like to go into information security. Um, and I think that's something I would enjoy. Um, but I want to... I mean, obviously I want to have a family. Mm-hmm. And I want to... I want to be a good influence in that family. I think everyone everyone does. Um but I just want to, I want to be prepared for that time when I can, when I can look back at my progress and say like, okay, because of this progress I've made, it's blessing my family. It's blessing my wife and it's blessing my kids. Um, and I want to help them develop that too, through practical experience, um, and action. Um, as far as more childish dreams go, um, I've written a lot of movies. I would love to, (laughs) I'd love to produce. I've always cool. loved writing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and there's a particular few that I'd like to, uh, I'd like to make. Um, but that's all very far in the future. And, um, yeah, I just want to live in a way that my heavenly father can be proud of me, that I can be proud of myself. Um, and that I can help my kids and other people around me, um, 
understand the things I've come to understand. And I also want them to be able to help me understand things that I don't understand yet. Um, because as long as you're doing that, you're both being edified. You're both rejoicing and you're both making progress. So, yeah, I just want to keep making progress. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Tanner. No problem. Thanks again to Tanner for coming on my podcast and talking with me. Of course, being roommates, we have the opportunity to chat all the time, but it's really quite different when I sit down and just listen and just listen for an hour. I think the world would be a whole lot better off if we all took five minutes a day to just listen, to get to know somebody a little bit better, a friend, an acquaintance, maybe somebody we don't even like. If we just took that five minutes to try and understand them a little bit better. I'd encourage everybody to do that, and that's something that I'm going to be working on even when I'm not recording a podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have yourself a fantastic week.